Good morning. This morning we're going to read from Matthew. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they were received their sight and followed him. Sometimes wisdom uh, comes to us from unlikely places. Have you ever had a child say something to you that makes you, it kind of stops you in your tracks and heard the wisdom of a child a time or two? Um, sometimes wisdom comes from places that we think would be unlikely. Like there was a, there was a big church with a, with a large elder board and this, uh, this elder board had one older gentleman that had served there the longest, and he never really said anything. He, in elder meetings, he always just sat over in the corner and was just quiet and didn't offer much input. And one evening at an elder meeting, an angel appeared in this elder meeting. And everyone just stopped talking. They were stunned. And this angel went over to this old man in the corner and said, because of your faithful years of service, the Lord has decided to grant you either unlimited wisdom or unlimited wealth. Without thinking, the old man said, give me unlimited wisdom. The angel said, let it be done. And poof, he was gone. And everybody just stood there staring at the old man until the pastor said, say something. And the old man said, I am now wise enough to know I should have taken the money. <laughs> that's, that's not actual wisdom. But uh, wisdom does come from unlikely places. Um, here's actual wisdom, I think. A guy named J.I. Packer in his great book, Knowing God, he defined wisdom this way. He said, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. What Packer said is, wisdom is the power to understand what's best and the power to understand how to get toward what is best. That's wisdom. And in that passage that Clay read for us this morning, that we're going to study through this, this morning, we, there are two men who are wise. Even though they have no ability to see physically, they're blind physically, they are the ones in the story with the, the power to see what's best, to see what the highest goal is, and they understand the means of attaining that goal, and they're dedicated to it. They become something of, like model disciples for us. Today's 
passage really marks a turning point in the gospel of Matthew. It's like the end of an era in the gospel of Matthew. And this is kind of easy if you zoom out to see uh, this big section of Matthew because the section starts and the section stops in almost exactly the same way. I'll show you what I mean. Clear back in chapter 9, verse 27, we read this. See if this sounds familiar. Jesus went on from there, and two blind men were following him, shouting, Have mercy on us, son of David. Does that sound familiar? Sounds exactly like something Clay just read us in today's passage in chapter 20. Two blind men, they recognize that Jesus is walking by, and they, they begin shouting. They only had one word, the word Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. And everything that happens between those two stories can be seen as like one big section of the Gospel of Matthew. And here's what happens mainly. The, the biggest thing that happens in that section of the, of the Gospel is the training of the disciples. Almost immediately, he does one other miracle, but after Jesus healed those two blind men, the first two that shouted, Adam, son of David... He calls his disciples to be his disciples. He picks 12 men. He calls them apostles, which means sent ones, ambassadors, emissaries. One, the, the men that Jesus are, are going to send out and task with reaching the whole world with the gospel. But they're not ready to be sent out in chapter 9. They haven't had any training yet. Which is why here's the main difference between the chapter 9 healing of two blind men and the chapter 20 healing of two blind men. The only real difference in the story is that Jesus, in chapter 9, he let, lets those two blind men come into a house. He heals them, gives them their sight privately, and he says, let's not tell anybody about this, which is ridiculous if you think of it. Everybody who knew those two men, what are they going to ask when they're healed? Wait a minute, you can see how? What are they supposed to say? Right? But Jesus says, it's not time for people to know I'm the son of David. And throughout his ministry, he keeps it quiet. Today, these two blind men ask for healing. Jesus heals them very publicly, and they shout out that he is the Messiah, and he doesn't do anything to silence them. Because next week is Palm Sunday, like not on the real calendar, but in the story of Matthew. This is the last lesson before Jesus goes up the hill into Jerusalem. This is the last, it's like the last day of class for the disciples in Jesus University. Back in chapter, right after the, the, uh, Jesus healed these two blind men, he called the apostles, and it was like the first day of school at Jesus University. That's where the disciples have been for three and a half years. Uh, Jesus U, home of the fighting fishermen. And, and today, like school gets out. It's not like the Gospel of Matthew is done. We still have eight chapters left. But the eight chapters we have left only take a week in real time. After today, it's the last week of Jesus' life. And the disciples, it's like 
one chaotic week before graduation and they're sent out into the world, which is going to be the risen Jesus sending them out into the world. And very intentionally, Matthew includes this as like the last bit of training before they go up into the chaos and violence of the last week of Jesus' life. So why is this last? Why would this be a big deal? It seems like, you know, Jesus has healed lots of people. He's healed blind people before. Why this? It's a great story. I can't wait to share it with you. We get the setting for the story in verse 29, where we're told that Jesus and his disciples are leaving Jericho with a large crowd following. There's some confusion reading the the Gospels, whether this happened on their way into or out of Jericho, it really doesn't matter. The setting is Jericho. And through all the Gospels, we, we can tell that Jesus' plan when he got to Jericho was just to pass through. Jericho's at the bottom of the hill. Jerusalem is on top of the hill. He's very close to Jerusalem. Last stop, Jericho. In a couple of places we learn that Jesus is just passing through because he's got business to attend to on the top of that hill. This is where he's done training the disciples and he's going to transition to saving the world and all who would believe in him. So he's just passing through, but we know he stops twice, even though he planned to pass through. Once for a, a guy named Zacchaeus, a wee little man, a wee little man was he, if you remember that song. And then here he stops for two Blind men that are on a road that leads either out of or into Jericho, depending on which way you're traveling. They're blind, verse 30 tells us, and they were sitting by the road. That tells us they're beggars. That's what they do. Mark only mentions one of these two guys when he tells this story. This is one of those things people who don't like the Bible or the idea of the inerrancy of Scripture... Uh, they point to, these, to Mark's passage and Matthew's passage. They see Mark tells us about one blind beggar. Matthew tells us about two. Seems like a minor detail, but I mean, you can't believe everything the Bible says because one says there's one, one says there's two. Well, not really. Mark never says there's only one. He just only mentions one, and he mentions them by name. We know one of these guys, his name was Bartimaeus. So if there were two, why would Mark only mention one? couple of reasons. One, I believe Bartimaeus became known to the church, the early church that Mark wrote to. Like, this is Bartimaeus. You know this guy. And the second thing, the second reason Mark mentions him by name is just because what his name means. Do you know what your name means? Like, you, did your parents look up your name in a baby book and name you something that meant something? I know Matthew means gift of God because, obviously, the... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, Bartimaeus means son of wisdom. Son of wisdom. And, and this is the story where the son of wisdom met the son of David, who was the son of God, right before he entered Jerusalem. The son of wisdom, Bartimaeus, one of the, these blind men are the ones who see Jesus for who he really is when he comes to the place where he should be king. So these guys are screaming. They're yelling. 
Have mercy on us, Lord, Son of David. This doesn't stick out this way to us, but the original audience would have definitely caught this. Calling Jesus Lord, Son of David would have been like just calling him Christ or Messiah. Here's why. We don't necessarily get that, but the original audience would have. 2 Samuel, the book, David was the king. And in 2 Samuel 7, God promised King David, David, you are going to have a descendant on the throne of Israel. There's going to be a king who is your descendant forever and ever and ever. That's a promise from God. The problem with that promise is a few hundred years after David, the Babylonians came in and wrecked the place. And there hasn't been a Jewish king in Israel since. By Jesus' day, it had been 600 years since there had been a king, a descendant of David. But the Bible promised a new king. And that king was, came to be known as the Christ, if you were speaking Greek, the Messiah, if you were speaking Hebrew, and also called the Son of David the descendant of David, the one who's going to be the king. And these blind guys understand from what they've heard of Jesus, he's the one. There's one other quality of the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, that would have interested blind people. Anybody remember what Isaiah said the Messiah would do? He would give sight to the blind. Now, probably originally that was meant sort of as a metaphor. You know, vision is always a metaphor for understanding things. Like if you say to someone, see what I mean? Don't you see? Aren't you really saying, don't you understand? Messiah would help people understand. But Jesus did that like literally. He healed, he let blind people see sometimes for the first time or see again. We don't, we don't know. But these, these two men, Somehow they understand Jesus is the king we've all been waiting for. By the way, that's, the, that's the, the, the main idea of the book of Matthew. The first sentence of the book said, Matthew said, I'm going to tell you the story about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, son of God. And he immediately gave Jesus' genealogy that proves he's the son of David. And these blind men see what so many people miss. Jesus is who he claimed to be, and he's going to claim that very openly next week in what we call Palm Sunday. So these, these blind men are, are, cre are screaming out, they're crying out, have mercy on us. They're obviously asking for healing. Mercy, give me something I better than I deserve. It's what they would have asked when they were begging, too. They would ask people for mercy. Give me some money that I really, it's better than I deserve. They're screaming this. The problem for them is that the crowds around Jesus, they, they don't like that, that these two blind men are trying to slow Jesus down. Verse 31, these two blind men get scolded by the crowd. The crowd tells them to be quiet. But they shout all the more loudly, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David. This verse is a good example of something that's just a general truth in life. And that's this. 
Those who are spiritually blind don't really like to hear from people who have spiritual vision, who see the truth. Would this be the last time the crowds of people shouted down folks who recognized Jesus as Savior, as Messiah? Not by a long shot. You know, one of the, one of the oldest sayings in America is if you want your conversation to be amicable, if you don't want things to turn into a fight, don't talk about two things. What are they? Politics and religion, right? If you, want, if you don't want things to go south, then you don't talk about politics and religion. It's, I don't think that's true. People like to talk about religion. People think religion is very interesting. I'll prove it to you. Some of the most highly rated shows on cable over the last several years have been about Scientology, Mormonism, um, what was uh, the Branch Davidian, David Koresh, and the cult he had down there. Apparently, people like talking about and learning about religion. If we, held, if we did a class on, on the teachings of Islam, people wouldn't be threatened by that. They would come. You can talk about religion. You know what you can't talk about? Jesus. One of my professors in seminary used to say this. You can point Islam, Buddhism, Mormonism, all the other isms. You can point that at people. But when you point Jesus at people, they recoil because somewhere in their hearts and their spirits, their spirit tells them that gun is loaded. Like they don't care if you wave around telling them about what, what people in Scientology believe. Oh, that's kind of interesting. You mentioned Jesus and it's like they go, man, put that thing away. You watch where you're pointing that. That's what happens to these blind men on that day. The funny thing is, the ones who can really see are the blind men, and the ones who are really blind are the crowds. The crowds, they don't understand what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Here's what they think. They think, hey, it, Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem, and we don't know how this is going to go down, but it's going to be awesome. He's going to try to take out the Romans, and we want to be here for this, and we don't have time for a couple of blind, begging nobodies to slow down Jesus. They still don't understand this truth about Jesus. He always has time for people nobody else has time for. And these guys, again, as our model, they know who their only hope is. And they do not care anymore what the crowd says or thinks. They cry out all the more. Because Jesus, they know, is their only hope. And then two of my favorite words in the book of Matthew happen next. Jesus is just passing through. He's got really important stuff to do in Jerusalem. He's trying to save the whole world. But when he hears these two blind nobodies crying out to him and they, won't, and they won't quit, verse 32 begins like this. Jesus stopped. I love that. 
I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know how you feel about yourself, about your relationships, about other people. But here's what I do know. When you cry out to Jesus, he stops. He pays attention. He won't always do what we wish he would do. But he listens. I love that about him. And then, after he stops, he calls these two blind, begging nobodies to him. And Jesus proceeds to ask what seems at first glance like the dumbest question that has ever been asked. Think about this. <laughs> these two guys who are blind, somehow they get led to Jesus, they, they, and he's, uh, what, do you, what would you like me to do for you? Oh, you mean... You, the Messiah who gives sight to the blind, what would we, what would we like you to do for us, two blind men? Hmm. <laughs> Doesn't that seem like a dumb question? The only question I can think of that seems dumber than this was the one I heard, like, are those your skis? Yes. Both of them? Now that's a dumb question. That's a dumb question. But this seems like a dumb question. Does Jesus ask dumb questions? I haven't said this in a long time. I used to say it all the time when we were studying through the book of Genesis. When you're reading your Bible, pay attention when God asks questions. Think about it. Because God never asks questions that he doesn't already know the answer to. I mean, if this, is a, this seems like a dumb question, why? Because you already know the answer to the question, Right? Every question's like that for God. <laughs> I mean, from that definition, every question's a dumb question to God because he already knows the answer. He doesn't ask questions because he needs to learn something. So when God asks a question, we need to ask ourselves, why is this here? What's going on? In this case, why does he want to hear these two blind men say it? If we were reading a bigger passage it might stick out to us, to us some more. But if you glance up, I, didn't, I don't have this loaded on the screen. If you glance up, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 20. Jesus has just asked this question. If you were here last week, you remember the story. Uh, last week, Jesus, two of his disciples, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, fishermen brothers, they, they put their mama up to going and asking Jesus for a favor. You know that story? Mama asked Jesus, Lord, I want you to, to do a favor for me. And Jesus asked her basically this question. What is it that you want? What do you want me to do for you? Now, what was the answer to that question? That James, what did James and John want Jesus to do for them? They wanted greatness. They wanted Jesus to make them, to put them above everyone else to make them the envy of all people, to give them power and position and influence and wealth. I think Jesus very quickly asks the same question to these blind men because he wants us to compare their answer to the one he just got from the, from the men who are supposed to be closer to him. So there's the question. These guys come to Jesus. They won't stay quiet. They know he's their only hope. What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, let our eyes 
be open. And moved with compassion. That's a great Greek word, by the way. Literally in the Greek, it means he, he was felt in his guts. You ever feel so bad for somebody? Like you can, you can feel it in your heart. You can feel it. That's, that's Jesus. And he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed. Let me pause and ask you a question. Pretend for a moment you'd always been blind. You'd never seen. If all of a sudden you could see for the first time, what would you do? I mean, after you got done jumping around and being overwhelmed, what do, you, what do you think you would want to do first, now that you could finally see for the first time? I don't know that there's necessarily a right answer to this, but I kind of think I know what most people would do. I've spent way too much time thinking about this, by the way. If, here's what I think I would do. If I was always blind and suddenly I could see, you know what I would want to do? I would want to go to where I've always been, to the people, I, the, the places I'm familiar with, with my other senses, the people I was familiar with only with my other senses, and I'd want to see what? I want to see what that actually looks like. Like, this is what my home looks like. This is what my family looks like. Right? Everybody you, you would see, you'd hear their voice and think, oh, it's you. I thought you were better looking. <laughs> that's what we would, that's what I think we would want to do. I would, I would want to take my sight and go back and the things that I'm familiar with. And now, now I, I used to be a beggar. Like I can, I can get a job, but I can, all this stuff on earth that I'm is familiar with, I can experience in a new way, in a, in, in a fuller way. But not these guys. Mark tells us a story, he tells us Jesus tells these guys, he heals them and he says, now you are free to go. Go on your way. I, go do your thing. And they say, not in your life. <laughs> Immediately they received their sight and they followed Jesus. These two are like model disciples. Here's why. There's one thing stopping them from following Jesus. They come to Jesus and say, if you'll just give me what I need to follow you, you watch. You watch what I'll do. All I need is to have what I need to follow you, which is sight. That's the story. Now, what do we learn? I think we learn three things from these two blind men that become the model disciples for us. First, I think we learn that any time we cry out to Jesus, he will stop and listen. God being infinite, he can listen to everybody at the same time and give all of his attention. He listens every time we cry out. 
He hears every prayer we utter. He hears us even when we're not praying. He hears everything else we say too, which is kind of scary. But when we cry out to Jesus, I think, he never stops asking this question. What is it that you want me to do for you? I think that's a helpful question to ask ourselves from time to time. What do I want God to do for me? Or how about this? If God showed up in person and said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask for? What is it that you want God to do for you? What would you ask for? If God said, I'll give you whatever you want, what do you want me to do for you? How many of us would ask for something that within the next 10 to 60 years would be kindling or worm food? How many of us would ask for a, for a talent, for an ability, for an accomplishment that somewhere between now and 50 years from now, no one would ever remember anyway? I went to state basketball this last week. Had a great time. Um, came home last night. The, I mean, those kids that won state titles, what rejoicing there was in Lincoln, Nebraska. What a great time. That would be an awesome feeling. I would love to experience that with our team someday. Love it. Came home last night. My alma mater, Beloit High School, home of the Trojans. They were playing in the state title game down in Kansas. That's roughly our size of school. Raise your hand if you know who won the state championship. One state away in our size of school. What is that? What are we, 60 miles from Kansas? Raise your hand if you know who, who won. It's, it's a town I'd never heard of. And I'm from Kansas. I think it was, I can't even remember right now. I can't remember that I have had this as part of my plan and I can't remember. And that sort of helps me prove my point. Like, that might be what some of us would ask for. Because it would make us feel like we're something, like we're somebody, like we're important. 60 miles away, nobody cares. And 20 years from now, the people here won't. Is that, what would you ask for? See, I think, though God keeps asking that question, I think he still wants the kind of answer he got from the blind men and not the kind of answer he got from his, two of his closest disciples. They said, make me great. Make me awesome. The blind men said, just help me see. Help me see so that I can follow you. I think that's the answer. What do you want me to do for you? God, help me see stuff the way you see stuff. Help me have priorities like you have priorities. Help me see opportunities the way you see opportunities. Help me see difficulties the way you see difficulties. Not as, not as proof that you don't love me, and if you really love me, I wouldn't be going through this. 
Help me remember that when I cry out, you hear me? And that if I ask for what I need to follow you, you will give me what I need to follow you. To make you great here. Though I might not be. I think this is why this is the last lesson in Jesus University. The last day of class. Part of it is Jesus is hoping his disciples hear this. Guys, I hope you see what's about to happen the way you should. I hope your eyes are open that when I go up this hill into Jerusalem and terrible, unspeakable things happen to me, it's actually the best thing that has ever happened to you. I hope you see. And the last thing we learn from these two guys is is once we see, once we have spiritual insight, once we know what Jesus did at the cross, he did for me, once we know him as Savior and Lord, it become the model for us in this. Don't be discouraged by the unbelieving crowd who wants you to shut up about that whole Jesus thing. Will they get uncomfortable? Darn right. But they need to hear. See, the truth is, Paul told us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, every single one of us is born what? Blind. We're all blind. We need someone to like show us the light. And when God does a work in our heart, we can believe in him and he'll give us spiritual insight. We'll, our eyes will be open and we will see what's really important, what's really eternal. And once we know that, we should never be discouraged um, from sharing what we see. Even though people who are in the dark don't like the light being shined in them. Once you see Jesus as your only hope, Why do we ever stop shouting that out? Would you pray with me and we'll finish. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of these these two blind men who saw their true, their only hope and would not stop shouting Hosanna. They would soon shout Hosanna, not stop shouting, have mercy on us, son of David. And then soon they would shout, save us. Hosanna to the son of David. The Savior is here. God, there are so many who need to know, who need to see what we see about Jesus. But we have barriers, like the rich young ruler. We have barriers, things that keep us from following you. Help us see what it is that keeps us from following you. And God, when you ask, what is it you want me to do for you? Help us to answer. Lord, remove that which keeps me from following. Help me see what you see and the way that you see that I might cry out about my only hope, that I might share the hope that I have within me that I've gained eternal life through what you did at the top of that hill. We love you, Lord.
thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray that in Jesus' name.